0: Creative Sandbox Way podcast, episode 155. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, creativity instigator and author of The Creative Sandbox Way here to explore and investigate anything and everything having to do with transformation through play and how creativity and play can help you live a more full-color life and be a better leader in all areas of life. Last month, we are here at the beginning of April, last month, March, in the Creative Sandbox community, my Lab for Women's Leadership Through Creative Expression We started our very first creative challenge, the Half of March Challenge, hosted by member Carla Olson, which was just two weeks long. It was half of March, hence the name, the Half of March Challenge. And on April 1st, Sunday, April Fool's Day, we started our second creative challenge, the April Fooling with Faces and Forms Creativity Challenge, hosted by Angie Arabko, And both of the cha- these challenges are very similar. There's a daily prompt. And all the, all the prompts are posted on the first day of the challenge in an article inside the membership community. And just like in the March challenge, there, there's there's a daily prompt. Actually, there are 30 daily prompt plus 6 bonus prompts to use if or when we're uninspired by the prompt of the day, which is kind of cool. And in both cases for the half of March challenge and for the April challenge, the hosts created a PDF for us to download and print out if we want. And there's the the article inside the community which is pinned to the top. So it's very easy to find. And we can always go back to the article on the inside of the community site to check out the day's prompt if we want. That's how I do it, because I don't like to use paper. So as with the March challenge, what I'm using the creative challenge for is, I is, you know, I don't, I don't need a challenge to get me creating because I am kind of on fire to create right now. But what I'm using this challenge for is as an opportunity to work on expanding my visual vocabulary for graphic facilitation. And this is kind of cool because the theme is fooling with faces and forms and drawing faces or specifically drawing expressions is really useful for facilitating workshops for my consultancy. Because frequently, you want to draw something, you want to represent emotions, right? You want to represent how people are feeling. And so this is really timely. So, so far, the prompts for April have been... For day one, the prompt was foolish. Day two, the prompt was big nose. (laughs) And day three, the prompt was crazy. And I have been posting my efforts on Instagram and Facebook. So you can follow me there if you want to join in the fun. Or if you like, sign up to get an invitation to join the community. Girls only, ladies only, sorry guys at creativesandboxcommunity.com. The doors are not officially open yet. I'm going to be opening them to the public for new members probably next month, May. But in the meantime, you can request a secret advance invitation inside. And I am going to be accepting a small number of people before the official opening. So if you add your name to the list, at creativesandboxcommunity.com, you'll get first dibs to that secret invitation. And you might get a chance to get a sneak peek inside, not just a sneak sneak peek, you might actually get an inside, you know, membership. And for a limited time, I'm going to be offering a free trial, I'm not going to continue that. But for a limited time, I will be doing a free trial. So Uh, that's what's been going on inside the community. We've been having so much fun. And what I've really been enjoying about these creative prompts, these creative challenges, is seeing the variety of what people are doing. Some people have been, you know, been a lot of drawing. And some people have been doing photography, I, I would love to have more people doing writing, music, you know, video, it's not limited to visual, but I ha- there happened to be a lot of visual people inside the community. But the prompts could tr- to could spark all you know any kind of creative expression, and it's just been super fun and inspiring. And it's creativity breeds creativity, so there are a number of people who have been inspired. To try their hand at drawing, even though they don't consider themselves visual people or artists at all, and that's been really fun too. So anyway, that's what's been going on inside the creative sandbox community, and that's that's it for today with the updates and announcements. So on with today's episode, which is um, some very interesting things that have been going on in my head <laughs> that I wanted to share with you. So a few weeks back. Maybe a month ago now, as I have been sharing, I started practicing graphic recording tools and techniques, not in order to become a professional graphic recorder, one of those people who stands up in front of a, you know, lecture hall when somebody's giving a speech or, you know, a presentation, and captures it all on a ginormous piece of paper with markers and pastels and things, not to do that professionally. But in order to bone up on those skills for bringing graphic facilitation to my corporate and organizational workshops for my consultancy Creative Sandbox Solutions. And because my practice is to share what I'm creating, regardless of how I feel about it, even if my gremlins tell me it sucks. I have been posting my efforts over on Instagram, which of course also feeds out to Facebook. And I even made a special Pinterest board just for my visual practice stuff. And I have links to all of that over in the show notes at creativesandboxway.com slash 155 because this is episode 155. So uh, as I have shared in the past, my gremlins are pretty loud and nasty, (laughs) especially when I'm working on a new skill as this is for me. So they have not been holding back in telling me all the myriad ways in which my flip chart sketch notes, my graphic recording efforts have fallen short of what I would like them to be. Basically all the ways I suck. <laughs> and because I have been following all sorts of masters in the field of graphic recording and graphic facilitation, my standards are pretty high, I admit. So it came as a really big surprise when people started giving me all kinds of positive feedback on what I've been sharing. Because what I've been sharing has felt to me like pretty feeble efforts. Um, But you know, the positive feedback also felt pretty validating. And then, as I have also shared, an interesting thing happened. Not only did I get positive feedback in the form of likes and comments, but some people actually asked if I could make sketchnotes for their business or their podcast or whatever. And they started asking me how much I would charge to do that. And wow, that really threw me for a loop. And as I've shared before, on the podcast, on the blog, my first reaction to this was very knee jerk. It was like, no way. There's no way. Are you kidding me? I am I'm not ready for that. I'm not good enough. No, it was just this knee jerk. No. But then I realized that that knee jerk reaction was really just my own fear talking. And, you know, If somebody else thinks my work is good enough to hand over a credit card and pay me for it, then, you know, it's good enough. No matter what my gremlins might think about it, and no matter how I might compare my work to somebody else's and think, why don't they pay them? That other person's work is so much better than mine. Why would anybody pay me when they could pay my hero if that person wants to pay me and thinks my work is good enough to pay me for it, and they like my work, then my work is good enough, right? Because after all, value is in the eye of the holder of the wallet. (laughs) Value is in the eye of the holder of the wallet. But what was really fascinating was how The mere prospect of doing the exact same activity for someone else that I was already doing for myself started to change my relationship to that activity. The mere prospect of doing the same activity for someone else started to change my relationship to that activity. And the thing is that commerce has a way of doing that. Now, I'm not saying that it has to, but in my experience, and I don't think I'm alone in this, money changes things. And in my case, now, I have to say money has not changed hands at all. No money has changed hands. It was just the thought of money changing hands. I noticed myself starting to feel rebellious. Hmm. And I didn't want to pick up my marker so much anymore. And this thing that I had been super excited about, like I couldn't wait to do each day. I would wake up in the morning just like, when do I get to pick up my markers and get to my flip charts? I was so just on fire, passionate to pick up my markers and get to my flip charts. This thing that I was so passionate about was starting to feel like a chore, like a have to instead of a want to. And I didn't even have a real client yet. Wow. Now, this whole situation reminds me of last week's conversation with Paul McCarthy when we very briefly touched on the topic of extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. And we mentioned, we touched on the book, Drive, the the surprising truth about what motivates us. I have a link to that book in the show notes. Drive by Daniel Pink, which is a deep dive on this very subject. And it's well worth a read. It is super interesting stuff. And one of the stories that I remember about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation is a study that I first learned about in college, I think, that actually happened in the early 1970s at Bing Nursery School, which is the lab school at Stanford University where Side note, my mom was a head teacher for over 25 years. Total side note. Okay. So here's the thing. Dr. Mark Lepper is used to be was, I think he's retired now, a chairman of Stanford Psychology Department. And he designed a series of studies to explore intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation, and the process of learning. And I found an excerpt from bingschool.stanford.edu. And I have a link directly to the article on the web in the show notes. And I'm going to read an excerpt from it. Here's what it says. Over a three-week period, during the first hour of each class, the teachers put out on one particular table... In front of the one-way observation mirrors, a new activity, magic markers and drawing paper. Each day, when the children arrived during free play time, this was one of the many choices they had. From behind the one-way mirror, the researchers could measure how much time during these free play periods each of the children chose to spend with this activity as opposed to others. The participants selected for the study were only those children who showed a high level of interest in the activity. In other words, children who were already intrinsically motivated. Then each of those children was taken into one of the game rooms where they were asked to engage in the same activity under three different conditions. Under one condition, a reward was offered. The child saw in advance the good player award with its line for their name and agreed to draw with the magic markers in order to get it. So they were going to get an award if they drew with the magic markers. Under another condition. When the child finished their drawing, they were unexpectedly given a reward. So they did their drawing, and then they didn't know they were going to get a reward, but at the end of doing their drawing, they were presented with this good player award. In the third group, children neither expected nor received any tangible reward, but did receive the same feedback on their work as the other children. Now, it doesn't mention what the feedback was, so I have no idea what the feedback was. Two weeks later, the teachers again put out the magic markers in the classroom. From behind the one way mirrors, the experimenters observed how much time the children chose to spend with the activity when there was no longer any tangible reward available. What happened? The children who had contracted to receive the Good Player Award showed significantly less interest. In fact, half as much as they had before the study. So contracting for a reward to do this initially interesting and attractive activity subsequently had a negative effect on their interest. The misuse of rewards or the use of superfluous awards Undermined intrinsic interests, turning an attractive activity into something that children would only want to do if there was a payoff. Hmm. Later studies varied conditions and rewards, but the same basic effect was always noted: Children expecting the reward during the experimental session showed less subsequent interest in the classroom, and less, di- less interest than they had initially. In a related group of studies, the same effect f- was found when children had to complete activities under a tight time deadlines. And in yet another related study, children's art teachers were asked to rate the creativity, quality, and interest value of the paintings done during the experiments and found that children who were expecting the reward drew more pictures, but of lower average quality. Wow. This is exactly what I feel happening with me. And it is exactly what happened with me 20 plus years ago, after I fell in love with the art of calligraphy, and then turned it into my business. So fascinating. When I <laughs> when I first started making art, I was just madly, madly in love with making art. And then <gasps> I started getting paid for it and it became a chore. Mm, so fascinating. Just because you can doesn't mean you have to or should. So what does that mean? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a weekly call with my WAM buddies. WAM stands for Weekly Accountability Meeting. That's something out of the book, The 12-Week Year. And this group of three of us has been meeting regularly for close to a year now. And these two ladies and I, the two of them have been a godsend to me. They help encourage me onward when I'm feeling low. They give me reality checks. They provide much needed external accountability to get me to follow through on commitments that I would otherwise probably let slide if I were only on the hook to myself. But I know, oh my gosh, I'm meeting with them in an hour. I better get this stuff done, you know. I am totally what Gretchen Rubin would call an obliger. And I've got a visual visual show notes in my show notes from a a, um, conversation with Gretchen Rubin during the, uh, the Jordan Harbinger show. She is the, the uh, originator of a framework called the four tendencies. And the uh, obliger is one of the four tendencies And like most of the population, obliger obliger is the most common of the four tendencies. And obligers tend to meet outer expectations, but resist inner expectations. So for those of us who tend to be obligers, external external accountability works really well. That's me. Anyway, when I shared my visual show notes with my wham buddies, they were super enthusiastic. And they had all sorts of ideas for how these graphic creations could be great for my business and what I I could be doing with them. And their enthusiasm was super infectious. All these great ideas. But... (laughs) what I have come to understand in the day since then, as I have sadly found myself less and less interested in getting to my flip charts, is that just because I am hypothetically capable of doing something, and even maybe good at it, doesn't mean I have to do something. And here's the real rub, Just because I am hypothetically capable of doing something, or even good at it, doesn't mean I should do something. It may seem from the outside like a good idea, but is it really? And the answer to that question is more complicated than it may appear on first reflection. I am in another accountability partnership, and sort of mastermind duo with a friend from my Lego serious play community. We went to our first I went to my very first Lego serious play training with her. And when we met on Skype last Sunday, And I told her what's been going on with my visual show notes and all the feedback and all my confusion around it. She very wisely asked me to share with her three whys. Why why do these visual show notes? What does doing visual show notes give me and my business? And here is what I said off the top of my head. One, they energize me. Two, they help people process and remember information. We remember visuals six times better than we remember by listening or just looking at text. So that's very powerful. And three, they are a differentiator. My incorporating visuals into what I do helps to differentiate me from competitors. And wow, that was such a great question of hers. And answering it helped me clarify that doing visual show notes for pay as its own separate business offering, as opposed to doing them for my own practice, to help me build the skills, to bring graphic facilitation into the workshops and trainings that I offer through my consultancy... That is not really probably going to lead me where I want to go. It's not going to continue to energize me. I've already established that doing it for pay, rather than energizing me, is likely going to demotivate me and generate a rebellious response. Not helpful. Offering visual show notes as a separate business offering would help people process and remember information, but only if I could get myself to meet a deadline, which I know I would because I'm really good with external accountability. But in the meantime, it would eat up my time for other things and it would demotivate me <laughs> and quite possibly burn me out. So, better for me to continue to focus on building my skills to add to my facilitator's toolkit. That feels energizing rather than draining and burn out, burn outy, burn outy. So clarity, 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 clarity. So see how easy it is to get sideswiped and not understand what the heck is going on. Back in the late 90s, when I started doing calligraphy, Man, being paid to make art seemed like such a dream. It was the holy grail to make a living from my art as an artist. But what you think you want and what you get in reality are not always in sync. So it pays to do some deep questioning before going after that dream in earnest. You know, it's that question, be careful what you wish for. Me, I tend to dive headfirst into the deep end without testing the water or even checking to see if the pool has been filled. Kind of dangerous. This time, though, I am doing it differently. I have learned from past experiences. And as they say, once burned, twice shy. I do not want to lose this enthusiastic, joyful passion that I have just recently discovered. I do not want to burn out again. So I am taking things very, very carefully and mindfully. And I hope my story helps you with whatever you are working on. And that brings us to something cool which is something that, or related at least, to something that just about everybody loves, which is chocolate. Specifically, roasted cocoa nibs from Trader Joe's, which I just discovered. So here's the deal. You know, we've all just learned, or at least I've somewhat recently learned that supposedly chocolate is really, really good for you, right? But you know, it's got antioxidants and all of that. But all those chocolate bars and chocolate this and chocolate that that's being marketed as really good for you probably has all sorts of other additives in it like sugar, possibly milk or other things that's really not good for you. So really the good part of chocolate is the pure cocoa nibs. <laughs> so why not just get the cocoa nibs? They're not sweet and they can be kind of bitter and they're all different kinds of brands. So I haven't taste tested Trader Joe's cocoa nibs compared to other cocoa nibs. From what I've read and I haven't read a ton, but Trader Joe's cocoa nibs are Perhaps not the best in terms of flavor or texture, so do your own taste testing. But they're super cheap $1.99 for four ounces, which comes down to $7.96 a, a dollar, $7.96 per pound. Pretty good. Uh, they're crunchy and chocolatey, and I like to toss them onto a bowl of. Barbara's, what are they called? Puffins. I know, highly refined grains with some sugar added, but it's my indulgence. (laughs) And some almond milk. And that has just enough sweetness that I'm getting a little uh, chocolatey sweetness, but I don't feel like I'm, you know, overindulging. I don't do dairy, so I can't put them on yogurt, but I would bet they would be really good on yogurt. So that's my something cool this week, roasted cocoa nibs from Trader Joe's. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment to hop on over to iTunes or the Apple podcast player and leave a rating and review. If you need help on how to do that, I've got step-by-step instructions over at creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And email me to let me know you left a review. Let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your life. And that is how you apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. Yes, I like to shine the light on my listeners. And if I pick you, we'll have a really fun, really relaxed conversation. And you will get to be featured on the podcast. Here is what Always Right On wrote. Once again, Melissa finds the exact right person I need to know. Amy Clymer's expertise in her field was a refreshing introduction. I'm in the process of making an interactive deck, and her knowledge and what she shared was invaluable. Melissa, you continue to lead us in the field of creativity and courage. I love your podcast. Thank you, always right on. I really appreciate it. That's It. Until next time, thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Subscribe at Creative Sandbox (laughs) 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 Way.com (laughs) slash (laughs) podcast.